Hi, this is Josephine Maria Janasak Leschinski. I am the co-founder of Revenge Fest, a minority-centered genre film festival. This year, we want to invite you to come get spooky with us at Revenge Fest 2020, Spooky Edition. This will be a completely online film festival. You can buy tickets at revenge-fest.com. Again, revenge-fest.com. Join us for two hours of 13 horrifying movies. Hey, do you like weird movies? You do? Have you heard of Vinegar Syndrome? Find them online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. They've got a simple three-step process that I call the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an amazingly large film archive consisting of thousands of 35 and 16 millimeter negatives and prints and are actively finding films that are underappreciated, undervalued, and underseen. So many of their releases have never seen the light of day since VHS and they're restoring them to all their glory. Some of these films do not have the right to look as good as they do, but they do. I'm looking at you corpse grinders. Vinegar Syndrome has their own method of restoration where their goal is to recreate the theatrical experience as best as they can. With their own in-house lab, they scan, color grade, and restore each title personally. You'll never see any grain reduction and digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting label and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. They've been with us since the beginning and we love them for it. Check out their website today and pick up your copies of Rudy Ray Moore's Dolomite films. Just in time for the new Netflix movie, That's Dolomite Is My Name, starring Eddie Murphy. Also available is Hell Comes to Frogtown, starring Rowdy Rowdy Piper, James Hong's The Vineyard, Pledge Night, Lust in the Dust, starring Divine, Putney Swope, The Amityville Cursed Collection, and much, much more. Once again, be sure to visit them at www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Let them know your good friend Michael sent you. Oh, shit. What the hell? So, how have you been, Nick? Uh, just, uh, we're in quarantine again. We're, Why? What we're happened? locked down. Um, hmm. One of our kids was exposed to somebody <laughs> that had COVID, COVID light symptoms. And then that night, he got a fever. So then all the kids had to be locked down, including us. And we took the kids for tests and stuff. But now um, there there will probably be more background noise in this episode than typical because my kindergartners are in school on the couch next to me. <laughs> and Liam's in the playroom <laughs> across the hall. Oh, I can hear it. I can hear it. Is, it it uh, is going to be energetic. Energetic. The background like noise that. is energetic. I'm so- doing great. I'm just. I couldn't be better. The world is my oyster. <laughs> the sun smiled down on me today, kissed my skin, and said, "Hey, beautiful, you go kick today's ass." And I said, "You got it, son." That's especially funny for two reasons. Because it's actually the sun. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All things considered, I think I'm like all things considered. Uh, I'm I'm okay. Like uh, I feel like a level, a weird level of stress because I got so used to like having all the time in the world to do shit. Now it's like I got two days a week to do shit. <laughs> uh, and like today, it just mounted up. So like I had to take Vinny to the to vet 
I'm doing this. I was going to try to do like a little bonus recording to add to the end of this about something I reviewed because I don't I won't have time to do a live stream for it. So I thought I'd just throw it on the end of here. And then like um, I'm doing a Q&A for a virtual film festival on Sunday. And I have to wa- still watch the film of the of the film that I'm like <laughs> doing the Q&A for. So I was like fuck, I got to watch that pretty much today. Um I have to call my boss. Uh, I have to put away like three weeks worth of laundry, <laughs> and all this other. Sh- and then, like, I was gonna try to like edit a bonus episode, episode or something, or at least the Patreon that we're gonna hopefully record today. And I was like, "Fuck, yeah. man, how did this day become so full of shit?" <laughs> uh, so. Like I said, my day's good. I just feel like I, I went from, like, having a day off to, like, no, you got a whole day's worth of work to do. <laughs> We've been trying to keep four kids uh, um, doing their online schooling. Oh, fuck. Which, in and of itself, is, like, more work than I can handle in a day. And then on top of it, I also have to do work. <laughs> work, work. Well, hopefully this episode will, if anything, be a little bit easier. Because, like, this... I, what I'm honestly hoping for, so we ch- this is we've kind of un- we've officially changed the format of the show to an extent where we're still going to be doing our in-depth analysis episodes, but we're only going to do one a month. And my hope is because what we're what averaging like two episodes a month. Yeah, I think so. Yep. My hope is that we can have one deep dive episode where we have to like be in sync with watching the episode, watching <laughs> right. the movie, doing research. Finding, cl- like, you know, and all that. And then I'm hoping that, like, we can potentially still do two episodes a month, but the second episode will be more topic-based and just kind of like a hangout episode where, like, right. we can just talk about whatever. Like, we'll find I know. some topic. Prep for this episode took me, like, 20 minutes. I know. It was... it's it, I'm just recapping stuff that I watched anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. that was nice. <laughs> so, like, that's, that's my hope. Like, you know, the edit will still be there and everything, but, like, I'm hoping that, like... It'll just take some of the stress off our shoulders, and if we like, I am, I still want to release. Like, I have not quite figured out like a release schedule. I've not figured out if like the official episode is gonna go at the beginning of the month or where. Like, how many weeks yeah. in between? I've not really figured it out. It's eh. I eventually should get some sort of an idea, so it's not like oh shit, it's been a month and a half since I posted anything. Fuck. <laughs> but I don't know because the Patreon episodes get no work. I put I put the heads and I put the heads and tails on, and that's it. Good. It's like maybe it'll last five minutes, maybe it'll last an hour. We don't know. Oh my <laughs> Either God. way, it's fine. I remember when we first started doing bonus episodes, and I was like, "Oh, you know, if we can get fifteen minutes, it, it'll be good." And like, not my bonus episodes are consistently like forty-five to an hour by myself. <laughs> I'm like, "Fuck!" That's before I edit them. How how am I doing this? I'm still in the place where, on the rare occasion that I do a solo episode, I'm like, feel like I'm like, oh, oh, gotta fill time and i made it over the 20 minute mark you know what works for me um i just stare off in the distance and just talk an apple yeah <laughs> i just like because like if i'm thinking too much about it and looking at the clock i, I stress myself out but like right. i just i kind of feel do you ever see the movie um pump up the volume with christian slater I have not. So, well, it's fucking great. It's, it sounds like we need to do a deep dive uh, it, shameless episode should. on like, it. Like, Pump Up the Volume is essentially the pod 
caster's manifesto before podcasting. It's <laughs> nice. Christian Slater plays a Christian Slater-like character in the late 80s, <laughs> which you, we all know the character that we're, I'm talking about, you know. And he just moves to Arizona. And he's Does he a, raise Arizona? No, unfortunately oh. not, but he does raise <laughs> the roof of Arizona. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> and he, he just moved from Arizona. I think he's from like New York or some shit, maybe California. or I don't know. I I'd not, I don't remember. But he, he's he got no friends and all that. You know, that that set up. But his parents gave him a, uh, um, a transistor radio set so he can communicate with his friends back home. But the distance is too far, so he can't do anything with it. So he starts a fucking pirate radio station. <laughs> And, like, when the movie opens up, he's been doing it for a while. And, like, he's just riding, like, all these, like, illegal channels. And uh, and it's actually very similar. People are like, sometimes he's on for five minutes. Sometimes he's on for five hours. You never know. And he's just, like, right. he's got, like, a voice modulator on so no one knows it's him. And he's just, like, <laughs> like doing, like, the whole, like, Howard Stern thing of, like, talking dirty and shit. And then he'll play, like you know uh hip-hop and then go to leonard cohen and he's got he's the kid of all the cool taste in music and like half the movie's just him like sitting there talking to a microphone he's got a cigarette in his hand and shit and i'm, I'm just like that's me when i'm doing the bonus episodes i'm not smoking or anything but i'm just like let me just talk at the microphone man and it's that's that's what i think of when i'm doing the bonus episodes and i just kind of get into Everything's polluted. The environment, the government, the schools, you name it. We were on uh, 92 FM tonight, and it feels like a nice, clean little band. No one else is using it. Price is right. Are you listening to this? Yeah, of course I'm listening. There's nothing to do anymore. And all the great themes have been used up, turned into theme parks. So I don't really find it exactly cheerful to be living in a totally, like, exhausted decade where there's nothing to look forward to and no one to look up to. He's got a pirate radio station. Nobody knows who he is. I, I could be that anonymous nerd sitting across from you and you turn around and he just looks away. Never looks back at you again. This is a song for the 90s. Welcome to Dorena Central. May I take your order, please? Yeah. I want. That was deep. I like the idea that a voice can just go somewhere uninvited, like a dirty thought in a nice, clean mind. <laughs> Maybe that's why I. Do- can't find the groove yet on them as i need to watch pump up the volume i think so i think it that's gonna be my new if for any podcaster out there it's like how do i fill time talking to myself watch pump up the volume it's a <laughs> it's it's a master class on filling all the air. answers are there yes 100 hey uh so side note um <sighs> i am if if you haven't yet that's totally okay but have you had a chance to listen to either of those records that you received the other I day? I have started listening to yeah. them. I listened to... I don't remember the titles of them. Uh, I listened to the thinner one. for like. Okay, so that is... so it, That's it's, the older one. I, I put so that one on first because it's like... Some oh. of you may or may not know it was Michael Vire's 30th birthday the other day. Yes. Um, and so, so welcome to the 30s club. Woo. And I sent him... For his birthday, two records um, of a band that I really enjoy that I kind of discovered through my job at the Avalon Theater. They came, they've come through a couple of times. And when quarantine started, I ordered these two albums for myself. And I'm like, oh, I'll put this on every once in a while. I've been listening to them so much through quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I thought, you. I'm sure you hadn't heard of them before, but I've really enjoyed these. I'm not an expert on your musical taste, but I also know that you're the type of person who can enjoy anything that's good. And I felt like there was a chance that this yeah. might fit that so i need to um, sit down and do like a full-on like deep dive listen like i just kind of had them on in the background when i was doing things but i was like i'm into this uh, <laughs> but the story so the band is oh, the band tough. is smooth hound smith um and the album you're referring to is tennessee honey i believe yes yeah i just call it the thin one because like i said it's like well the other one feels thicker and i even got the record out and i was like oh this is like really thin vinyl too right and it's a pretty color <laughs> But no, this like, so when I got that in the mail, you know, anyone who's a record collector or record head like myself knows what a record packaging looks like. It's got a very, like, it's like when you, when you first started getting into movies and people give you DVDs for Christmas, it's like, I don't think it's a pair of shoes. It just has a certain (laughs) size to it. Is it a puppy? (laughs) And I get it. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, I know it's a record, but who's it from? And then like, it says from Nashville. And I was like the fuck do i know in nashville <laughs> and um and i opened it up and i saw the records and i was like okay the records i don't know these bands or i don't know the band and at first i couldn't what was the name of the group again i'm sorry smooth hound smith smooth hound smith and i was like i don't know if it's like if the person's name is hound smith and he's referring to himself as smooth <laughs> if that mr. is mr mr smith um or or if I'm your friend, I can call you Hound, but I did find you very smooth. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, and then like the card was what really threw me out because it says, thank you for the support. Happy belated birthday. And I was like, have I been supporting these people? <laughs> and I'm going through my friends list looking for everyone with the name because I was looking trying to find the names of the band members. And I was like, okay, I don't know anyone named Claire, but maybe I know someone named Zach. And like, <coughs> I started thinking, I was like, is this potentially someone related to vinegar syndrome like what is this because they signed it themselves they signed it as if they knew me right and i found that really funny i was like who are these people and then like amanda's like did you buy these and i was like i don't think so (laughs) i usually run my purchases past you (laughs) like i guess anything's possible and then she's like was there anyone and we spent 15 minutes trying to figure this out (laughs) and i even looked up smooth hound smith and i didn't see any like any um any um like related friends or anything like that right. and and eventually man was like did anyone send you a gift that you wouldn't know about and like my immediate thought went to a buddy of mine named patrick who was actually just recently talking about like some uh, uh americana band that he saw in chicago and i was like maybe it was it and then like she said sent you a gift that you weren't expecting i was like oh fuck me and nick had this conversation this is from nick <laughs> But it was like, like, and funny enough, I got that package and I got like a new package from Vinegar Syndrome. And I was like, I saw the Vinegar Syndrome one and I was probably like, eh. And I was like trying to figure out who gave me these records. I just kind of like, like, I'll look at the Vinegar Syndrome stuff later. What, where'd these records come from? <laughs> cool. So it's all right? Yeah. Music was all yeah, right? Yeah, I still got to listen to the second one. Cool. Uh, but I'm, in, I'm into it. Like, I, like, we've talked about this before. I'm kind of into a little bit of everything. Um, just for fun right now, especially because I got these new pair of headphones, I've been listening to a lot more music, but, uh, just because it gives me, it, sometimes I want to listen to music, but I don't know what I want to listen to. And I don't like necessarily like skipping to random songs. Yeah. Um, so 
I've been actually going through the Rolling Stones top 100, top top 500 albums, just so I have like a list mm. of like, okay, yeah, you know, just something to something go where off you don't of. have to put thought into each record decision. Yeah, of, you know, all like, right, what am I gonna pick now? So like this morning, I was listening to Funkadelic, and uh, nice. and then like right after that, it was like Loretta Lynn's complete greatest hits, and like fuck yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so like for the and like since I've been going through my dad's records, and like my dad was a you know. He grew up in the South, so his entire record collection is rock and roll and country. So it's like, <laughs> uh, I listen to pretty much anything. Nice. And, you know, I and also appreciate when someone gives me an album as opposed to, like, listen to this song. It's like, oh, right. okay. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. I, I feel like a song out of context just doesn't, like, I don't know, like, give me an album to listen to. Give me something that, like, you really care about. I don't know. It's just how I am. Well, there you go. I gave you something that I cared about. <laughs> you did, you know, and it's going to be a good day. I've got my tea. I've got music for afterwards. We've got a fun topic that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Was there any? Was there any other news, Nick? Before we got to the topic, I don't think so. I think I think that was our natural sedui. Yep, our natural segue. Um, <laughs> so this episode's not going to have a traditional intro, but you know, I'll still do my hello and welcome and. Let me take a sip of tea for the working man with in my personalized I, coffee mug. Woo! I'm I'm born magical again this morning. That's my my kitty torn cup. I've never oh. had Earl Grey, but we had some laying around because mm. our house guest Emma drinks Earl Grey. I was like, I just want some tea, so Earl Grey. It gets, um, it's pretty good. That's Raina's go to tea, though she has it's a certain kind of Earl Grey that she likes and I uh I tend to go for like a cherry black tea. Like, I, I've, I've, I'm usually like a green tea guy, or I like. There's one, I, I can never. It's the brand that has the bears on it. I never remember what brand. Uh, it's, Celestial seasonings. Yes, they have one called Red Zinger. Mm-hmm. That's that one's pretty dope. A little bit. Of That's honey. the same uh, brand that I get, but they have a black cherry one. Mm. Um, and yeah, honey, that, and I'm good to go. Yep. podcast actually discusses movies be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements endings surprise twists unexpected cameos and all manner of spoilers if this doesn't appeal to you why listen to a movie podcast without further ado please enjoy our feature presentation the shameless picture show hello and welcome to another episode of the shameless picture show i am michael byers and with me as always is i don't have anything funny to say <laughs> uh a man who also doesn't have anything funny to say nick richards <laughs> all right so you might notice that we have a significant lack of introduction today it's because me and nick are trying something different for my own for our own sanity we had to we had to slow down on i know and on the amount of episodes we're doing. And I know that seems crazy and it even sounds it even seems weird explaining it because when I explain it it does not sound like we're slowing down at all, but here <laughs> bear with me. We had to slow down on the amount of episodes because simply just because I put so much effort into our I call them our traditional episodes, our deep dive episodes. 
um, that uh, it was just getting too hard to do them every other week because by the time I would finish not only watching and prepping and editing one, we I already had to do another one, and I just was running out of time to do things. Um, so we're still going to do those. Amanda had suggested every three weeks, so which would be roughly about once a month. Uh, but like, I, I just, I feel weird not putting out more content. So like me and Nick are going to, we're going to try to do a uh, concept of doing one deep dive a month. And if we can fit it in one topic themed episode, and I'll still pepper in bonus episodes and shit because I love listening to myself talk. So, which and, and to be fair, we used to do more topic episodes and which we both liked doing, mm-hmm. I think, uh, just the last season and a half, we've kind of just haven't been inspired by any particular topics to have thrown them into the rotation and we ended up like discovering a lot of movies that we wanted to do so i don't think that it's really a step back as much as a a return to form yeah like honestly and like i'm even down to start going back to doing in tv shows once in a while and you know that's something i've been wanting to do uh, more of because that that was fun um yeah and uh, ultimately the biggest thing that with this podcast is i always want it to be fun so it may never always be consistent but it's always <laughs> going to be consistently fun uh, because honestly this is an escape for all of for all of us and the day it starts feeling like homework and not like fun homework you know because we all had those classes we're like oh shit i'm <laughs> actually kind of excited to do this the day it starts feeling like, oh, I gotta, I have to go do this. It's Then it's not fun for me. Hey, Ava, you're in school. Yep. And Ava's in school, apparently. And Ava's in school. Well, Ava's not in school, though she's supposed to be. <laughs> oh, Ava's in trouble, and we got it on, we got it on microphone. <laughs> uh, so that's the plan. Like, we're still going to be doing the show. We're still, I'm still, we still want to put out quality episodes. Um, but I just think sometimes, and I'm sure the people listening who seem to really like us for whatever reason are cool with us just hanging out and just talking about movies. Yes. You know. The thing is, is they're not going to like it if we get burned out on it. Exactly. Exactly. Because so. um, I'm sure you could you could all tell when we're enjoying a topic and when we're not enjoying a topic. So, you know, <laughs> it's, we want to stay true to ourselves. That's right. Yeah. So, in spirit of that, me and Nick are doing a topic episode today where we are going to each pick five of our go-to fall films originally when we when we pitched this you actually had pitched fall and i kept thinking halloween and then you kept pulling me back and said no let's do fall so i love that idea explain to me what your differentiation is and why you want to do specifically fall sure and and um there are two times <laughs> that was a nice slurp thank you uh there there are two times of the year where i actually without a motivating factor like the show or a good recommendation or something where i just naturally start throwing movies on and in my free time or when i'm doing something that i can have background noise i just like automatically am always putting something in one of those times is leading up to Christmas. Yeah, obviously, it's Christmas movie season. We both talked about that. Oh, it's 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 our favorite episode of the year. <laughs> um, but then also, you know, the the procedure to that is fall, mm-hmm. and of course, fall is going to be chock a block full of horror movies. But it is bigger than that. Yes, 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 um, yes. It, it it's not limited to that. And though I will say, my list 
does have the majority horror movies on it. I didn't want to the the concept that feeling that I wanted to capture was more of like what I've been watching because fall is here. And I agree with that because I watch horror films throughout the entire year. I don't need a season to watch it. And I don't mm-hmm. intend for this to sound gatekeepy or anything like that, but you know, for a lot of people who are not as into the horror genre as myself, this is their escape. This is their ch- chance to watch it. But because I do watch so many horror films, I, I'm very choosy about what I put on. You know, for me, it's like, you know, the leaves start falling, and I'm not like, let's put on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No, that's a summer film. That feels like right, summer. Yeah, there needs right. to be a certain vibe or aesthetic to it. It can't just, you know, I'm not like, oh, let's you know, watch, watch Friday the 13th. You know, I'll watch Friday the 13th Part 4 or Part 6, which have a more fall feeling to it but i'm not gonna watch the first one which is supposed to be in the dead of summer you right. know i'm i'm very particular about that or like the thing feels more like a win- it's, winter it's winter film because it's in the snow yeah. it's christmas it's your christmas horror movie so i framed my list not so much by like my top five favorite fall films but just five films or groups of films that i have been watching and thinking about this fall that's um, fair. And one of them that I wanted to add to the list, but didn't feel appropriate, was I watched Midsummer mm. for the first time uh, yeah. a week or so ago. Um, and I've still been thinking about it, but it doesn't really feel like a fall film. It obviously feels like a summer movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. So so that one I, I wanted to mention, and, and that was the perfect reason to mention it, but... Um, but it did not make the list. <laughs> no, and I, it, it is a phenomenal film, but it yeah, it does not feel like a fall film. Right. It's got summer in the title or summer. <laughs> um and and not even late summer, no. which maybe you could translate it is mid. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dead smack in the middle. <laughs> no, I kind of did mine in a similar way where I did like almost like a a theme for each one where I have, or like a reason for why I chose it, or, you know, almost like an explanation. It's kind of a way to, to frame my list a little bit. So I figured we'd go, you know, each, we each go one and yep. kind of go from there. So, um, yeah, I, but, I like this topic, but who's going to start? I don't know. Should we have Google flip a coin? Yes. Or do you want heads or tails? I'm, I'm going to go tails because my, butt is prettier than my face okay hey google <laughs> flip a coin you got tails oh you're going first oh. google lights my booty <laughs> she does i feel like after all of that chaos i need to take another sip of coffee for the working man uh so first up on my list and in, in no particular i did kind of put them in an order but not an order it's just what made sense to me um Mm-hmm. A film that I enjoy. So, th- though the themes kind <clears throat> of it, it is it is not a horror movie, but it has ghosts and it has death. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, it is the 1996 Peter Jackson film, The Frighteners. There has been a destructive force unleashed on this town such as I have never seen. Oh, 
Okay, well, folks, I can do a clearance, but uh, it's not gonna be cheap. Although I do offer a six-month guarantee. That fellow takes us totally for granted. Hey, Stuart, in or out, huh? Frank Bannister had a remarkable ability. Psychic investigator? To communicate with the dead. You, you could see spirits? Emanations are normally confined to the cemetery. You cannot push spirits around! Although they do escape. <laughs> and an uncanny knack. We're gonna scare the living daylights out of your parents. <gasps> for making a profit off the living. We're supposed to be his business partners. Everyone says that you're a fraud, but I've seen what you can do. Give it up, Frank. Death ain't no way to make a living. But now... <laughs> Some things put the fear of death in the living. What is happening to me? And send the dead yes! running for their lives. I've seen a figure in a cape. That was the soul collector. When your number's up, that's it. Frank, we got problems. All these murders that have been going on in Fairwater, they're gonna pin them on you. Pictures and Robert Zemeckis. You're next, pal. And acclaimed director Peter Jackson. We don't stop till the screaming starts, okay? The Frighteners. Oh, it's been a long time since I've seen that. Yeah, and it had been for me as well. Um, I have really strong memories about like certain scenes of that film. Yeah, and what was interesting is um, I it, it is one that the DVD probably got all scratched up and I threw out at some point. So I haven't had it for a few years, but I rebought it recently, and it had the director's cut Ooh, in there, which I had never seen before. So I watched the director's cut. Okay. Um, I have to say the scenes that were added in the director's cut, I thought, slowed down the film and... Uh, uh, it was. It, I I thought the theatrical release was better. Okay. Um, but still a super fun movie. I actually used a clip of the Frighteners when I edited our last episode because we were talking about Arlie Ermey's kind of stereotypical, oh, you know, is in that movie drill sergeant. Yeah. Um, and and his holy Jesus, Frank I Bannister. I forgot he was in that movie, actually. Wow. Using your spooks to put the Frighteners on people. That makes me physically ill. He was always, a good, sport. He was always a good sport about playing that character. Yeah. <laughs> one of my, Not to take away from the Frighteners real quick. No. But like one of yeah. my favorite times that R. Lee Ermey, or R. Is it R. It's, yes. Okay. R. Lee, Lee Ermey. <laughs> One of my favorite roles that he was in was actually Saving Silverman, where he played the... Oh, oh yeah. yeah! So it's got Steve Zane, Jack Black, and um, Jason Biggs, and he plays their old football coach who <laughs> went to jail for accidentally killing a kid, for killing a referee, and he gets out, and he's, you know, he's like almost like the voice of reason to them in, in like a really like bad way where they're like, we kidnapped our, our best friend's girlfriend, what should we do? We'll kill her! Well, you can't just kill her. Yeah, you can. <laughs> just the entire time, he's like, just he's like, just chop her head off. He's like, we can't do that, Coach. So, what brings you boys up here today? Well, Coach, we need your advice. Okay, shoot. Darren fell in love with this girl, Judith, and we kidnapped her. Kill her. Okay, 
just wait a minute, let me finish. So we screwed up because now she knows who we are. So we can't let her go or she'll turn us in. Is that it? Is that everything? Yeah. Hmm. Killer. He is the worst voice of reason. He is the voice of reason, but the worst voice of reason. <laughs> yes, ever. exactly. So yeah, the I another role that kind of surprised me how how enjoyable it is in that is um the I, I don't remember the actor's name, but um he, he's a great character actor. He plays like thirty seven different roles in in across the Star Trek series. But the uh, FBI investigator, okay, I've, I have who comes vaguely. in at the end, he's very twitchy. And um, you can tell he has a lot of issues and they, his character was in various cults that he had to like <laughs> go undercover in, which messed him up really bad. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it, it's a really entertaining uh, film. And the, the setting is one of those films that even though it's not really a horror movie, it just screams fall. Oh, 100%. I don't remember. What is The Frighteners about? Um, if best of your recollection. So, so, I know Frank Bannister, J, got Michael J. Fox. It, I know yes, um, is a architect turned paranormal investigator. Okay, and it's it's revealed very early on that he is a scam artist, but he's a scam artist because he can actually see and talk to ghosts, and he uses the ghost to go haunt a house. Who will then call Frank Bannister to remove the ghosts? So it's this this scam that they have to try and make money so that he can finish building his house. Then people start dying, as um, they do, as they do, and it turns out that I I'm gonna throw spoilers in there. You know the the mystery is why are all these people dying? Um, but there was a serial killer who was put to death, played by. Um, uh, Nick Nolte's son that I can never remember his name. Anyway. Hey, Google. Uh, <laughs> who is Nick Nolte's son? Nick Nolte's son is Brawley Nolte. No. Is it? Maybe it's not Nick Nolte. Well, whatever. Any, um, <laughs> Brawley anyway. Nolte. Nolte, I assume. Um, he's... Um, I, I'm now I'm getting distracted, but I'm sorry. Anyway, it, it turns out that there's this serial killer who was put to death and is continuing to to kill, even though he's a ghost, um, to try and get his numbers up and be the most notorious serial killer ever. That's actually kind of a really fun. Play. It, it almost feels like it could have been like Ghostbusters three. It yeah, it has that kind of like comedy starring ghosts, and there mm-hmm. are spooky elements, but. Um, yeah, and, and it's it's interesting seeing Peter Jackson's early work also. And like that's like not even like super early for like because he did that like r- like that was like a movie or two before he started doing Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. So it's a kind of it's kind of like pre Rings and then post Rings, but like the <laughs> shit he was making like while in New Zealand was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> like Dead Alive. It's just a crazy fucking movie. <laughs> that one I have not seen. It. You could tell that he really liked Evil Dead. <laughs> However, so, it's the only movie. It's like, I, yeah, I'm gonna make that. <laughs> I've only ever. It's the only movie I've ever seen where a guy's being swarmed by zombies and picks up a lawnmower and just <laughs> uses the lawnmower as a weapon. 
Nice. The first time I ever saw it, my uh, former producing partner, Greg Bishop, who was on our Rocky episode, he was telling me how much he liked it. He said it's the, it's the cutest relationship in a, in a horror film he's ever seen. So I was like, whoa, <laughs> shit, that's... Now I'm curious. Right, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it is a love story at its core. It's just really goofy, okay. heightened, cranked to 10 love story. But, you know, it's good. <laughs> Frighteners. That's actually one I want to revisit this year. So like, Frighteners, yeah. I, I love Michael J. Fox. I have memories in my mind of, like, of Michael J. Fox interacting with these ghosts. I more so remember the ghosts, like, his two friends. Right. Like, watching the, watching him do things and like trying to like figure out how to help him considering they can't do anything right and then i also have like this memory of like i think michael j fox is like girlfriend or love interest or whatever like her husband or boyfriend dies and then like yep. him trying to help him he was one of the families that he scammed in the beginning of the film so then uh when the guy dies um by that serial killer ghost he like his ghost runs into Frank Bannister. He's like, Oh Bannister, you gotta help me and and that's I feel like I feel, I feel like that actor who played the the boyfriend or husband or I feel like it was it was an actor that I'm familiar with. Like Okay, t- wasn't I, it Jeffrey I, Combs? I, was, I don't think so. Alright. Whatever. John Aston's in the movie and that's pretty cool. Yeah, he played um the uh the sheriff <laughs> that's awesome is one of the three ghosts a super old ghost <laughs> that's just that's perfect <laughs> ectoplasm's drying up <laughs> i'm actually really excited to rewatch this now and nice i i it was one of those things like i remember my brother watching it when i was younger and i couldn't really wrap my mind around the concept of a a comedy horror film so i just assumed right. it was going to be flat out scary and by the way jeffrey combs is in that movie he plays that eccentric fbi agent at the end oh okay that's that's i remember um, seeing his face in it um because he's also in reanimator but okay yeah yeah and he's the one who's in like he plays 1700 different roles in star trek he's a chameleon he's a chameleon all right all right so what's your number one so or number five I guess when the fall hits, like I love old movies anyways, but once the fall hits, I just want to consume myself with old horror films. Yep. And it's sometimes kind of a slight point of contention between me and Amanda, because while she enjoys the old horror films as well, when it gets like the spooky season, she wants like movies that are going to scare her. She wants like The Conjuring and things like that, which, you know, I I, I really like those movies, but you know, like I'm looking for like a certain aesthetic. So Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah, and like the Universal <laughs> Monster movies are kind of like my go-to because before I liked horror films, I liked the Universal Monster movies, and I used to go to my uncle Patrick's house, and one he was also the he he had the biggest TV I'd ever seen as a kid, and it was like a tube TV, so I don't it was in the basement. It's like how did that thing get down there? Right, it's a whole fucking thing. <laughs> it was a like mystery. One of those, it was like one of those big plasma TVs, so it was fucking okay. huge, um, and. He'd always he'd always have Turner Classic movies on no matter what, but especially during the during Halloween when all the the old monster movies would come on, and I just had these memories of like Robert Osborne introducing the <laughs> films and everything. So I try to go to the Universal monster movies, and surprisingly, as much as I love them, I find myself honestly returning to the same ones over and over again. Yeah, and I had realized this year that I had never seen two of them. 
Okay. I had never seen The Invisible Man. Okay. And I had never seen Creature from the Black Lagoon. Creature from the Black Lagoon is my pick. Good evening, everyone. I'm Alicia Malone, and I'm happy you're with us tonight for our special In Memoriam to say goodbye to several stars who passed away this year. We're starting with actress Julie Adams, who co-starred with the likes of Elvis Presley, Rock Hudson, Jimmy Stewart, Glenn Ford, and Tony Curtis, but she was probably best known for sharing the screen with the Gill Man. That's what we're playing now from 1954. It's the cult classic Creature from the Black Lagoon, directed by Jack Arnold. Julie Adams stars as Kay Lawrence, the only woman in a group of geologists who are trying to track down a prehistoric creature. This story was inspired by a Mexican folk tale about a creature who surfaces once a year in the Amazon and claims a maiden. This was told to producer William Allen by cinematographer Gabrielle Figueroa during a dinner that also included director Orson Welles, and Allen thought it might make a good basis for a horror film. When Julie Adams was cast, she had already co-starred in over 20 pictures for Universal Studios, but was mainly publicised for having the most perfectly symmetrical legs in the world, which the studio insured for $125,000. But Adams was tough. She grew up in Arkansas and said when she came to California to be an actress that nobody found me, I had to go and find them. And though she was initially sceptical of this movie, its enduring success cemented her place in cinema history. So here she is. This is Julie Adams, or Julia. Adams as she was billed here alongside Richard Carlson and Richard Denning in Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, directed by Jack Arnold in 1954 because I had just watched it. Technically I would probably put this as more of a summer film but the Universal Monster movies are fair game in the fall. They're totally. fair game in the fall and that's what I watched. It was my first time seeing Creature from the Black Lagoon and I have to say I was really impressed by how good this movie was because I wasn't I don't know what I was expecting uh and I, I didn't really know what to expect like I, I knew the story of the creature from the black lagoon but I wasn't fine I wasn't expecting myself to be as captivated as I was nice um and it's it's very you can very clearly see now why Guillermo del Toro was so inspired by this movie <laughs> Um, and why he wanted to remake it so badly, and when he couldn't remake it, he pretty much said, fuck it, I'll make my own, and made Shape of Water instead. Nice. <laughs> okay. Um, and it's, 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 the Universal Monster films are always really, um, I always really appreciate them because they live in this world of, kind of like that Scooby-Doo would later on teach us that humans are truly the, the real monsters in this world. Yep, yep. And, you know, because Creature of the Black Lagoon is about this, like, uh, this marine biology group that is visiting the Amazon, and they found this, fo- they found an evident, this fossilized hand. It's a, like a skeleton, had webbed fingers and everything, and they're like, well, fuck you know, this could be a huge discovery for us. 
and the area the place where like the the highest concentrate of this type of rock or whatever is coming from is from the amazon and there's specifically this place called the locals called the black lagoon let's go there and dig find it find out what's going on and you know they're trolloping through this black lagoon and the creature is just defending his home world and pretty yeah. much it's like well fuck you guys what are you doing here um <laughs> so he starts killing them off um until he until the creature sees the the, the actress julia adams um and kind of like there's not like this like prolonged falling in love scene but he's she's the one person he won't attack and he's just okay. kind of like there's this really famous scene of her swimming under the water and he's swimming right below her and it's it's kind of like these really beautiful shots uh and gorgeous underwater cinematography movie was also originally in 3d and i wish i could have seen it in 3d yeah and my mom tells me stories about it coming on tv um and uh where she actually went to like the local drugstore and got like a pair of 3d glasses and it was like a big deal to see the creature of the black goon in 3d and it's i don't know i just I, I was i was very easily transported back to the excitement that was around this film because in the 50s yeah. there weren't they weren't making a lot of universal monster movies anymore the big ones the dracula frankenstein Wolfman, Mummy, were in the 30s and the 40s, so the 50s had one. The 50s had the creature from the Black Lagoon. They, and, they were scraping the bottom of the barrel concept-wise, but then they actually made a gem. <laughs> yeah, and like the 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 um the costume design by a makeup artist named Bud Westcott. It's it's iconic because like you yeah. have this you have this this really detailed creature suit that can be submerged underwater and it fits the entire body in a way that like you hadn't seen before um and it also blends like these 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 multiple worlds of film that i didn't really know i was interested in you know i've talked before about my aversion to what i call lab coat porn where some (laughs) some of those old 50s science fiction films just are you know white dudes sitting around talking about science and it's just a lot less interesting than it could be you know where this is like okay there there's a little bit of that but they're not in lab coats they're they're on a boat going through the amazon and like these movies about like traversing through new worlds it's always kind of appealed to me i think that's part of the reason why i like apocalypse now so much cuz it's you know they're they're kind of traversing through the jungle and that's what this film was doing and you know you had these strapping scientists who are like scuba diving and you know fighting and fire and there's water and all this, <laughs> this these these core emotions that were really working on me and i left the film just being like fuck that was good it was just simple but it was really good and like i'm excited to watch the other ones because the titles are so like titillizing um so 1954 is when they made the creature from the black lagoon 1955 they made revenge of the creature so they got that fucking sequel out fast and then 1956 they made the creature walks among us which is such a good title <laughs> Get me a poster and a title, and you got a right. So it's you like, got your money, kid. <laughs> and then like Jack Arnold, who was kind of a journeyman director at the time, you know, he kind of struck big with this. Like, and he was kind of the science fiction and monster guy. You know, he did. It came from outer space. He did. A, he did the Incredible Shrinking Man. So it was kind of a big deal. Like when they they chose him to do this film, and it just he fucking knocked it out the park. Nice. So. I'm a, great one yeah. yeah i i have not seen it um i have seen some of the old monster movies uh the one that i remember the best was the mummy um 
But uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll have to check that one out. My favorite of all time is still going to be Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. What a picture. <laughs> um, it's That is a film I recommend to everyone. Like, if you can watch... You don't have to watch the original Frankenstein. I feel like you... We live in a world where people know the core story well enough where... Right. But I would recommend just... Because like the original Frankenstein is like an hour and ten minutes. Like You can do a, like a double feature of both films in an evening. and I've seen Young Frankenstein. I'm sure it's the same. <laughs> Funny enough, Young Frankenstein is actually more inspired off of Son of Frankenstein and Ghost of Frankenstein. Okay. <laughs> so, fun fact for you guys. <laughs> so I read yeah. I I read the novel, the 1818 version of the novel, but I haven't seen the film. I really think you'd like it, Nick. Cool. I I I love the novel. It's different. It's different because okay. the novel is you know really esoteric and trying to figure, find what it is to be a man and right. The, and I think that's the, what I liked about the it. Cre- um, the 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 monster is far more intelligent than those. Um, but I think you'll, I think you'll like what they did with it regardless. And what's actually kind of, even though I picked Creature from the Black Lagoon, interesting fact about, uh, Frankenstein, James Whale, who directed it, was a, a, a gay film director, but it was kind of like an open secret type thing where people knew, but they didn't know. Um, (laughs) and when he made Bride of Frankenstein, he didn't want to do it. He was like one of those chamber piece directors. He made really like classy formal pictures and didn't like doing horror, even though he made some of the best ones. Because and I, th- I think because he was trying to find what do what do what can I find that I like in this? Right. He made a film called the, the Old Dark House, which is phenomenal. But when he made Bride of Frankenstein, he so much didn't want to do it that he pretty much just said, "Well, fuck it, I'm gonna get weird with this." And like, there's actually some really interesting themes being worked in about homosexuality and kind of finding your place in this world. So he's like, "Well, fuck it, if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna fucking just get weird with it." And it's, I think it's a masterpiece. That that sounds great. That you have definitely piqued my interest. <laughs> so that's my recommendation to you: Creature All from the right. Black Lagoon, and then both frankenstein films yeah right every time we list one of these we're gonna end up like with four recommendations tied and don't up even get it. me started on the <laughs> mummy <I don't> know. <laughs> all right so number i guess four on yep. my list if we're counting down um is a franchise Ooh, so I, it's not the... a film but a series of films is it harry potter uh it is not though that is a good fall watch yeah <laughs> um um and I add this to my list because I was able to introduce Reina to this franchise. Oh, that's always the best. Obviously aware <laughs> of it, but had not seen any of the films. And that is Nightmare on Elm Street. Ah, yeah. Uh, we we didn't get we we were able to watch one through six. We didn't make it to New Nightmare yet, but that's on I the horizon. Really like New Nightmare. I lo- it's it it shifts tone so hard um and like back to the original but then further plus mm-hmm. the meta the, element of the freddy haunting the actors and like, I, I, becomes so delicious i also really like and it's considered a lot of people consider it to be the worst but it's weirdly one of my favorites i really like the one that came well i love two but okay. i really <laughs> like the one that came before new nightmare um oh six freddy's dead freddy's dead as a boy he was always different. No 
one understood him. You ready for it, boy? It's time to take your medicine. Thank you, sir. No one could control him. Go inside, honey. But now, it's a new beginning. The beginning of the end for Freddy. Every town has an Elm Street. I don't know. Oh, yeah. what, there's something about that film that is just... Here's And oh. you mentioned Black Lagoon being in 3D. Freddy's Dead was also released in 3D. In the th- just the third act, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now put on these dream goggles. <laughs> And then, like, um, oh, continue. Before, I'll just keep going. So you, you talk. <laughs> there, there's because we like binge watched these. We like watched all of them in two days. Um, it, it was interesting seeing them all crammed together like that, and it really emphasized what a like. You could see the transition from like serious, dark, scary Freddy to like stand-up comedian what's the deal with teenagers these days and like freddie playing atari and, and, but like at right in in six um how he gets like i i wouldn't say funnier but like more more comedian and you see him more and more and he becomes the star of these films where in one nancy was obviously yeah the, and the star of the film definitely threes i think was the one that handled the tone the best where like it was still kind of, it was still pretty scary but freddie yeah. did have a little more personality but even out like i know two is definitely i'm still thankful has had a resurgence in the last couple of years um especially with the with the lgbtqi plus right. community yeah. but i i actually think that movie is still pretty legitimately scary like yeah. there's like Freddy is never the, at least not in my opinion, is never the joke in that film. Right. Um, well, and and something that uh, that's um, Freddy's Revenge does is it's the only one of the films where somebody other than Freddy kind of becomes part of the villain, like mm-hmm. where the protagonist is turned into the villain at times, um, where it's not really that Freddy killed those kids, like. It was certainly through Freddy, but where uh, I forget the the lead character's name, um, but where he's kind of killing the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think that's a so, fa- that's a fantastic choice because like it does give that fall feel. It's kind of like supernatural and weird, but they're so fun. There's only so one of them. Fun. There's only one of them that I kind of struggle to get through, and that's uh, part five, the dream child. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the the I I think there's some interesting stuff in there. Oh, 100%. Like, I think the you know, they they're having other actors play the characters, which isn't necessarily a deal breaker, but it throws it off a little bit where you're trying to figure out who is who. Um I also think that everything that they set up in Dream Warriors and Dream Master about like controlling your dreams they kind of reset in dream child in a weird way yep um and they were doing some of that in dream master too it just there wasn't three through five feel like a separate trilogy um where they have the characters that that tie across all three i was kind of cool with like i think that's that's one of the reasons like i can 
I still appreciate Dream Child because by the time we get to it, it's like, I like these characters. Yeah, yeah. You know, of course, they get rid of my favorite character in the entire franchise, Kincaid, in the pre- in the previous film. <laughs> cool breeze. Yeah. I just, like, me and, me and my buddy Paul, like, we watched uh, Dream Warriors at a sleepover one time in high school. And just through the rest of the semester, we just kept yelling at each other in the hallway, Freddy, you pussy! <laughs> yes. Kincaid was plus the best. Lawrence Fishburne. Oh my God, Baby Lawrence Fishburne. He's having a good year on the Shameless Picture Show. Yeah, as Baby Lawrence Fishburne is really, really yes. killing it. Oh, plus I've been watching a lot of CSI, the, the later CSI, uh, recently, which he is in pretty consistently. So I'm getting a, a big dose of Lawrence Fishburne it's, this fall. It's funny. I was watch- when I was watching all the behind the scenes features for Apocalypse Now. Uh, Coppola and his wife kept referring to him as him as Larry. Was That's like, oh, how Larry Fishburne. <laughs> in in Apocalypse Now, he's credited as as Lawrence Fishburne, but in um, Nightmare on Elm Street Three, he is credited as Larry Fishburne. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, and one thing I'd like to mention, kind of as a piggyback to your Nightmare on Elm Street, which I think is a phenomenal choice, <laughs> I would recommend everyone check out a documentary that's streaming right now on Shudder, and I think it might even be on Amazon Prime, called Scream Queen. Scream, comma, Queen. Okay. Uh, My Nightmare on Elm Street is actually about actor Mark Patton, who starred as, I think, I think the character's name was Jesse in, yes, in Nightmare yep. 2, um, about what it was like being a closeted gay man in Hollywood oh, and interesting. doing a film that he suspected had homoerotic subtext, but no, right. no one would own up to it. And right, they blamed right. the failure on that film on him. They claimed that his, the fact that he was gay is what made the film gay and not the fact that it was pre-written into the script. It was absolutely pre-written into it's that script. So much so that when I met Mark Patton, he was signing copies of the script with some of the more juicy moments in it. And uh, he's, he's a good sport about it, but the documentary is fantastic. Especially if you're a fan of the franchise, the documentary is fantastic, and it will make you cry. In the midst of the 1980s, no one was scarier than Freddy Krueger. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I was obsessed. Loving Freddy Krueger, loving a Nightmare on Elm Street. But part two came along and it was just a strange movie. For a lot of us, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was our introduction to like... There's a lot of gay in that movie. It's kind of a siren song for the queer horror community. Mark Patton's a... I mean, he's a scream queen. I wake up in the middle of the first movie that I'm the lead actor in and realize that there's a gay subtext in it. It wasn't subtext, it was right there. This movie is the gayest thing. And we did Xanadu last month. Some of the circumstances around the making of this film created a lot of hurt for him. And people ask you about it, you say, no, Mark was just so gay that he ruined the movie. You know, the mainstream public, they weren't ready for a male scream queen. They couldn't articulate it. I think the word is homoerotic. That it wasn't owned as a queer film made a light shine on him that was completely inappropriate. The film that was poised to launch his career ended up destroying it. Mark Patton pretty much disappeared. He was the Greta Garbo of horror. I was not an out gay actor in Hollywood in 1985. I was a gay person and I was living in terror. 
in the 1980s to be queer was to be this sort of diseased pariah. I think, in a way, Martin Patton paid the price for that. It was on the page of the script, and I knew we were treading in there. This is not a delusion that I'm having. You filmed in one of the biggest gay bars in Los Angeles. Oh, well, was that a gay bar? Yeah. Oh, my God, old. yes. It's yeah, you can play with it all you want. I wanted to be a movie star. This movie destroyed it. That's what made him go a little crazy. The movie was 30 years ago, and you still pissed off at Dave Chaskin. You've been lying for 30 years about this. Yeah, I never wrote, you know, he screams like a woman. If you don't think that this is all interconnected, then you need to do your math again. Awesome. Okay, I will. I'll have to check that out. I'm giving you bunch so of recommendations today. <laughs> right. So there's my pick for number four: uh, is the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. All right. Next for me is my is so another thing that I always go to every year is I same thing with Universal Monsters. One of my favorite actors of all time is Vincent Price. So when the fall season hits, I just want anything to do with Vincent Price. Yes. Again, <laughs> Vincent Price is one of my heroes and he just fills me with so much joy his presence on screen even when he's playing a son of a bitch. Um <laughs> like to the point like I was so we, we have a house guest staying with us for a little while named Emma and she we were telling I don't think she Ooh, can, now I can hear. Oh yeah. It might even be hail. Uh, um, we were telling her all about all things what I love about Vincent Price. Atmosphere. All the things I love about Vincent Price, like the fact that he used to like do Tylex commercials and he's a gourmet <laughs> cook. But then I had to mention how he used to do commercials for for cousin subs. Um, fun fact: so um, we do a show on the on the public access TV show that I run called Intermission, where we show old public domain films. And I created a fun little opener with, like, old drive-in theater ads and things. And then I always play an old TV commercial at the <laughs> front of it. And I have a Vincent Price Cousin sub-commercial that I play on the front of one of our episodes. Welcome, class, to Cousin Sandwich Appreciation School. I want you to examine the Cousin Sandwich in front of you. See how skillfully the fresh ham and cheese has been sliced into delectable mounds? Regard the bread. Think that's just any bread? <laughs> now taste it. Search your feelings. That's pleasure you feel. Delicious, isn't it? Now, what did you learn about cousins today? Cousins taste great! And don't you forget it. And, like, what's so great about it is it, Cousin Subs is a regional fucking submarine <laughs> shop that primarily in Wisconsin, and they were able to get Vincent Price. And, like, Amanda actually applied for a job with Cousins, and she had to go to, like, the headquarters. And in the headquarters, they have the Vincent Price commercials playing on loop in the in the waiting room and it's like that's that. amazing i love that so but my choice for the vincent price movie i've not rewatched it this year but i feel like i need to because i feel like it's going to be a very timely topic in this world from 1964 directed by sydney Salcow, Salcow, the last man on earth another day to live through better get started those cells are still living, Dr. Mercer, off one another. There has to be an answer. You heard that all communications are ended outside the continental limits. Yes, I heard. That leaves it in our laps. 
feels very appropriate with the world that we live in in 2020 uh the film especially because you know uh, how long i was you know sitting in the house by myself um the (laughs) film is an adaptation of oh why can't i think of the the author's name richard matheson's i am legend right and is actually penned by um richard matheson but he was so unhappy with it that he uh, he he requested a pseudonym be used, um, oh. but I love this film. Um, it 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 wanders more a little more into zombie territory, you know, instead of vampires. <laughs> like the, the all, so the the story is about uh, Vincent Price's character who plays a doctor. He's named Doctor Robert Morgan, and um, he when the movie opens up, he is the last man on earth. Everyone else has been infected by this plague that turns them undead. And they're supposed to be vampires in the book, but they're they're very much acting like zombies, and they're afraid of sunlight, they're afraid of mirrors, they're repelled by garlic and all this other shit. And it's just him trying to figure out how to survive on a day-to-day basis. He has his right. routines, but then uh, during the day, uh, and he, he's got these routines that he does, but it eventually gets to the point where nightfall comes, and, all, and since the creatures know he's still human... They all come to his house and call his name in the middle of the night, and he uh, uh, and the the vampire that's calling his name the most was his former best friend who's trying uh. to get him to open the door and join him, and it's just Vincent Price descending into fucking madness, and I just I love it, I love it, um, nice. and um, it I would say out of all the adaptations of I Am Legend, there's like the Omega Man, and then there's the Will Smith film, which was actually still right. pretty good. I liked it for yeah, the most I part. Enjoyed it. This I would say is the most faithful to the book, which I've read and okay. I, I loved. It's still not you know 100, percent but you're not you're never gonna get it 100, percent right. but like this when I think of the true adaptation of I Am Legend. The Last Man on Earth is what comes to mind. It's also got a really transcontinental vibe to it as well because it's it's all shot in Italy but made to look like America, which just kind of gives it a really just unique feel to it. Yeah. And, you know, 
I'm obsessed with Vincent Price's voice. So just like he's just narrating <laughs> the entire time, and like he's like, you know, the light world wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for those damn vampires, and they're like calling his name <laughs> and shit. It's it's just fucking great. It's great. It is a black and white. It's got that. It's got that spooky that spooky doings vibe. And yeah. Um. Speaking of that, the way that you described that vibe of transcontinental where it's filmed one place but made to look like America reminds me of a a, sh- a Netflix show that Raina and I watched. Um, it was called The Reckoning. Okay. It was released somewhat recently. And we're like, the, the more we watched it, we're like, there's something wrong about this. And we couldn't put our finger on it. Mm-hmm. And then as we watched it, then we started to, you know, look it up and we couldn't figure it's shot in Australia with mostly Australian and New Zealand actors, and we're like, "Oh, that you can, like it was you it was like in it. the uncanny valley yes. of of American film, and it feels like it was written to be like, this is how an American cop would be, and this is how like you know it it once we realized what it was, it got really entertaining, and it wasn't a bad show at all. Like we really enjoyed it, but that." in particular was i love when filmmakers do that with intention like sometimes like italian filmmakers do it all the time just because for budget reasons like okay we're shooting this in italy throw up american flags so it feels american but then there's some directors like um for example panos cosmatos who directed the movie mandy it's supposed to be like in the american northeast but they shot it in sweden because he wanted it to have like this sword and sorcery type feel to the woods because their their forests look different so like yeah he did it with an intention so i always sure. like when that happens but a lot of yeah. times it's for budget like ash versus evil dead was it was shot entirely in australia and it's supposed to take place in detroit and I'm like that's i don't think that's what detroit looks like <laughs> <laughs> but the last man on earth uh is part of it's one that i want to watch soon and i feel like it's it's a movie ripe for rediscovery this year with the yeah. pandemic and um it's it's probably gonna be the most fun pandemic movie i can recommend (laughs) right when it when the pandemic first started i watched outbreak and contagion yep and (laughs) i watched the crazies and yeah (laughs) so we we both kind of had our pandemic films um so that's my number four is the last man on earth all right moving to number three um i think um this is another film from 1996. So was, I have several from 96. That was, I guess, it's my a year. formative year for you. Um, this is a film that I, again, hadn't seen until this year. Or not again. Sorry, that's a, a, I haven't gotten to that movie. So this is one of two <laughs> films on my list that I saw for the first time okay. this year. Um, and it's, I think, timely because it's being rebooted. Ooh. Um, and that is Andrew Fleming's The Craft. To the other kids at St. Bernard Academy, they were the girls who didn't belong. Whatever you do, stay away from them. Why? They're witches. But after years of being on the outside... Why'd you lie about me? I don't want to go out with you again. Please, stop begging. It's pathetic. Four girls are about to discover the dark side. You ever heard of invoking the spirit? Black magic. We can make things happen. I mean, this is it. This is real. Columbia Pictures welcomes you to the witch. 
witching hour. Her spell is working. Sit. Watch out for those weirdos. <laughs> we are the weirdos, mister. Oh, yes. Um, that's a, a, a great um, high school witch story <clears throat> with Feruza Balk and um, uh, I can't think of her name, but Deb from from Empire Records. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Originally, Robin was going to play the, the part that Nev Campbell plays, Bonnie. I didn't get it. She had shaved her hair off for Empire Records, but we screen tested her. Then when we saw her on the big screen, everybody simultaneously said, oh, she should be Sarah, because she does have that quality of, you feel like you know her, you feel like you like her, she's your way into the movie. Hey, do you guys worship the devil? <laughs> We kind of had to talk her into it. She liked being Bonnie. She liked being this marginal character over here. But she did it, and she's great. Um, and apparently the the dad in the reboot is played by David Duchovny, which I'm particularly excited about. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's a... It kind of has some Carrie vibes to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's kind of an exploration of... Because high school is so problematic, if you had the power to to do the things that you want to do in high school, like what would actually happen? Yeah, right. And and so um, these four witches coming together and and getting power. There's both it, the first part of the film is is them using these powers out into the world. And you have some, you know, sisterhood vibes and things, but then all that falls apart as um, the four of them are using their powers to kind of uh, fix the problems that they feel they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, no, it's it's a. I, I think it's probably what I I can't think of a better one. Uh, my favorite like witch story. Um, I'm I'm stoked that it's being rebooted because so well first i should say a lot of people online would be like this doesn't look good this doesn't this is not the crap you know all this shit it's like okay what's full of role people this movie's not for you <laughs> this movie's not for the people that grew up loving the craft you know i'm sure there's gonna be stuff in there for those people but they're targeting they're targeting the young girls right who right. could use their own version of the craft Right. And so I'm stoked that it's being remade because I'm. It's going to be a topic I'm going to talk about in a little bit, but I love fucking spooky, weird movies that are aimed for younger audiences. Yes. Um. Uh. And on that note, um, we watched uh, the. I think it's Guillermo del Toro. Uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yeah. 
Um, which like I watched, of course, love the books, like everybody my age, um, growing up and we watched it and walking away from it, we were like, oh, that wasn't as scary as we Mm -hmm. thought it was going to be. But then we had to keep in mind, like, I don't think we're the audience. Like we did enjoy it for nostalgic reasons, but this is like a PG, PG 13 kind of, I think they're trying to capture kids that were the age i was when the books were so popular 100 percent. you know there it's always and i feel like uh, uh fans of any anything that's getting rebooted get really up in arms and shit because they think it's going to somehow hurt their the <laughs> right. original or they think that you know like exactly and like Think about how old you were when the original, not you specifically, but people who are complaining about like about the craft being remade. It's like, how old were you when that movie came out? They're not making the the new craft for people in their thirties, right? That's not their audience. Well, and and going it wasn't back the to your audience then. Pick, it, it's like when I Am Legend came out with Will Smith. You know, it's oh, they're, they're remade. Like, it's it's not it. Movies get remade all the time. Intellectual property gets remade all the time. Franchises get added to all the time. Chill out. One hundred. <laughs> like you don't have to watch it, and if you watch it, you don't have to like it. It's okay. But 100%. this idea that you can't add to it, that yeah. you can't interpret it in a new direction, is just ridiculous, and it's proven wrong over and over and over again. And I, I just, I never understood that idea that like you own that franchise now it is what it is there's like a big thick wall around it and it shouldn't be touched that's just and honestly like the biggest thing that always annoys me people like well hollywood has no new ideas no they do you just don't go see them (laughs) right yeah you're not interested and honestly this is a business you know if they can reboot halloween and make a billion dollars that's then more money for them to put towards small films that you aren't yeah. going to support. Right, right. For every b- giant film that does really well, one fi- they're, they're t- that gives them another chance to take a chance on someone. Right. So that's my way of viewing it. But no, I, I, I the Craft is another film that I want to actually revisit. It's been a couple, <laughs> I've not seen it since like middle school. Okay, and and I hadn't seen it at all. So that's a great choice. Um, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's you know it's, it's spooky witches in the '90s, and I don't know. I've, I th- I'm play. I think the the '80s aesthetic right now is really played out, where everyone's like '80s nostalgia. Let's get some fucking '90s nostalgia. Let's just you know, I want to see people wearing flannel, listening to ska. Oh, it is. It's hitting. Um, it's all the hit. like, my daughter and all of their friends are definitely like wearing what the girls wore. When I was in like middle school, now like re- uh, somewhat recently, I rewatched Ten Things I Hate About You, and I was like, "This movie's oh, problematic." Movie. As- <laughs> this oh. movie's problematic as fuck, but man, the aesthetic is strong in this film. <laughs> well, the dialogue's so good in it. Yeah, the lines are can't be beat. One hundred percent. And Empire Records still needs another resurgence. Yeah. Well, it's uh, I'm you know I mentioned somebody being in that where. If if we do indeed record our little bonus episode, there's also an actor in one of those two films that I picked. Okay, uh, that was also an Empire Records. Oh, we're gonna record it. We just might 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 just take up a good chunk of our day to finish this. <laughs> right. My number three choice is my well, 
I was going to say, what is my Thanksgiving tradition? But I work every Thanksgiving now, so it's not my Thanksgiving tradition. <laughs> but it's going to be my Thanksgiving tradition this year because all the stores are fucking closed for Thanksgiving. <laughs> nice. Nightmare Before Christmas. Disney's animation genius brought you the dazzling excitement of Aladdin. Ooh. And was at the forefront of technology with the breathtaking spectacle and the majesty of the Lion King. Now Disney brings to video one of the most unusual and imaginative animated movies of our time. Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. This amazing motion picture takes three-dimensional animation to new heights and to a new world filled with unforgettable characters led by the Pumpkin King, Jack Skellington. Surprised, aren't you? I knew you would be. It's a story filled with laughter, romance, and high-spirited musical fantasy. What's this? What's this? There's cover everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This isn't fair. Oh, oh, oh. Prepare for a delightfully different animation experience. The Nightmare Before Christmas, coming soon on video. Oh, yeah. The reason being... I hate the argument. Is it a Christmas movie? Is it a Halloween movie? It's a Christmas movie. I don't care. <laughs> I'd anyone say says. yes. It's both. Well, <laughs> Halloween is such an afterthought in that film because once he discovers <laughs> yeah. Christmas, he's like, I don't want to play with you anymore. It's a Christmas <laughs> film. But I split the difference and watch it on Thanksgiving. Perfect. It's the transition from, you know, because the, th- the day after Thanksgiving is when I'm putting away Halloween decorations while listening to Christmas music. So, like, it's the transitional nope. day. Right. Uh, but I also want to uh, specify Nightmare Before Christmas, directed by Henry Selick in 1993. <laughs> Tim Burton didn't direct this film, people. It's <laughs> it's a big pet peeve of mine when people will be like, oh, Nightmare Before Christmas is my favorite Tim Burton film. He came up with the story, and he produced it, but it's not his film. Put some fucking respect on Henry Selick. The man is pretty much every stop motion film that you probably love. He had his hands in. Okay. Like he also directed James and the Giant Peach. That's another big one. Let's look up Henry Selick. Let's see what all he's done. This is this is this is a this is a hill that I choose to die on because (laughs) it. I feel bad for him because he directed one of the most influential stop motion films of all time, and everyone credits it to Tim Burton. Sure. Uh, he, um, he directed Night Before Christmas, James and the Giant Peach, Monkey Bone, which oh yeah, yep. he directed Coraline, Brendan Fraser, uh, and then two other films I haven't seen. So he did Coraline as well. So like, the, okay, give the man some. Um, as a quick tangent off of that, uh, some of the films that I thought of for this list but didn't choose for various reasons, Nightmare Before Christmas was on there. Um, I had a backup uh, just in case you chose it. <laughs> it's a great pumpkin charlie brown yeah um midsummer we already talked about fallen which um i didn't add because i haven't seen it recently but i okay. really like that movie and i'd like to revisit it uh where the wild things are which i didn't add for the same I've reason i've actually not I wa- seen that movie i own it but i've not watched it i want to revisit it but i haven't and something i watched that i i was interested in but just didn't make the cut is the new child's play movie Mm. which I found they did some interesting things. I liked it. I liked it. With 
Chucky where it wasn't the the murderer's spirit going in like yes. it was about artificial intelligence and and what our society would be teaching artificial intelligence and how they learn from that which i think added a whole new much more interesting dimension to that film 100 percent. i was a fan of that film i liked it quite a bit um all good choices so, but nightmare before christmas nightmare before christmas like i said is my thanksgiving tradition because to in in honor of fairness where some people watch it on halloween and some people watch it on Christmas. I throw it right in the middle. <laughs> and it's just a feel-good film. It's something that I, more often than not, I don't sit down with the intentional. It's just I kind of have it on in the background. Um, but, you know, I was never obsessed with the film like so many people I went to high school with where, you know, they had Jack and Sally fucking hoodies and shit. And like, right. I always really liked the film. And it, it's always going to have a really nostalgic place in my heart. Um, and honestly, like the memories I have most of that film as a kid were actually seeing like the little like making of trailers they would have before Disney films where they would show like from the visionary mind of Tim Burton and they would show them like, you know, working with the fucking (laughs) figures and shit. Uh, and that's what I always really remember from the film. And it's like, it's, it's just, it's a breezy movie. It's like an hour and 20 minutes, hour and 10 minutes. It's got really, you know, iconic songs to it. Um, oh, the music. Is, well, there are a couple of weak selections on the soundtrack, but overall, the music is so good. Yeah. And it's just, it's perfect. Like I said, it's, it's got that fall feeling. It gets you ready for Christmas. And, you know, I know everyone that loves This Is Halloween is like their favorite song, but I still think What's This is, What's like, this this is, is my, my favorite. favorite. Yep. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And it's then, the one that I can't not sing along to. I also love that uh, Danny Elfman does the singing voice of Jack Skellington. So it just, okay. it just feels like when I listen to Oingo Boingo, I just feel like Jack Skellington singing New Wave. Oh, and what I didn't realize um, is we watched the... Um... <laughs> Uh, the live table read of the Princess Bride. Yeah, and that Prince Humperdinck is the voice of the speaking voice of Jack yes, Skellington. Yes, I didn't realize he that. He is also in one of my favorite vampire films, which almost made the list: Fright Night. Okay, I know the cover so well, and oh, I have never seen it. Nick, great, I, great VHS box. We cover. might need to do our our next deep dive episode. Might need to be on. Might All need right. to be a, 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 a night, night. Need to be a Halloween film. We might need to do Fright Night. We might need right. to, you know, just a thought. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Number two. What's what's your number two? For my number two, I actually have two films, but I have two films for my number nice. two. But mine both star John Cusack and both take place exclusively at a hotel, so they're essentially the same film, right? Fourteen oh eight. Yes. And fourteen oh nine. Fourteen oh seven. Had to go the other direction. No. Fourteen oh eight and from two thousand three. Identity. I've never even heard okay. of that one. Okay. Um, directed by James Mangold or Mangold. There was a storm. It was an accident. We had an accident. And we got stuck and we couldn't get out. We couldn't get out because of the storm. It's flooded. It's a dead end. You're the manager? Officer Rose. Transporting a prisoner here. But the roads are all flooded and I could use a room. 
I don't think we can get out tonight. I'm not staying here. Are you out of your mind? There's no place else to go. Identity has the issue of relying on the multiple multiple personality trope, which um, is actually a spoiler. So I'll reverse oh, that fuck. spoiler alert. It's about multi multiple personality disorder, but you don't realize that till like yeah, uh, at least halfway through the film, if not a little later. Um, but 1408, uh, based on a Stephen King uh, story. Um, I've not seen it. it it's is, on my list to watch this year. It is one of those films that... Um, it's very claustrophobic. Because mm-hmm. with very little exception, that one takes place almost exclusively in a single hotel room suite. Mm-hmm. And it's just John Cusack. Um, and... Every time I finish watching it, that the spookiness sticks with me. Where I could go down the stairs in the dark, but I could also make that little extra effort to pop the hallway light on first. You know that just yeah. you know just to yeah. be safe. You you never know. You know what? Maybe I can do without that snap from the kitchen because it's. <clears throat> uh, I'm just gonna stay in bed. <laughs> Yeah, smart, smart. Um, so you, you pointed smart. So fourteen oh eight, I I really enjoy for that reason. Um, what what is fourteen oh eight about again? Uh, fourteen oh eight is uh, so John Cusack's character is a writer, and okay. the majority of his catalog are like the ten spookiest cemeteries or the ten spook. They're like travel books where he goes and goes to these supposedly haunted places and kind of reviews them. And right now he's working on the 10 most haunted uh, hotel rooms or something. Um, and he calls up, it also has, um, uh, got, uh, I can't get Lawrence Fishburne's name out of my head to... Uh, <laughs> Samuel Jackson. Yes! God, you were all over that. Samuel L. Jackson. Um, I know. I know. I know who it is. Um, ever so briefly. Sir, you quite misunderstand the situation. Now, I know the dolphin doesn't have the cachet of the plaza or the Carlisle, 
but we operate at 90% capacity, always. And my concern here is not for the hotel. My concern here is not for you. Frankly, selfishly, I don't want you to check into 1408 because I don't want to clean up the mess. Now, hotels are all about presentation and fertile creature comforts. My training is as a manager, not a coroner. Under my watch, there have been four deaths. Four. After the last one, I forbade any guests from checking into 1408 ever again. The last one was David Hyde, orthodontist, manic depressive, slit his wrist, did a little self-surgery, turned himself into a eunuch, right? Yes. So you've done your homework. I'm a professional, too. Well, grievously, in its 95-year existence, the hotel has seen seven jumpers, four overdoses, five hangings, three, three mutilations. mutilations. Two stranglings. General Manager Gerald Olin is well-versed in the hotel's tragic history, dryly reciting the docket of carnage like a bookkeeper discussing his ledger. Well, you think you're clever, don't you? I know the game. Well, during your investigation, did you discover the 22 natural deaths that have occurred in 1408? Natural deaths? Ah. Didn't find out about them because the newspapers don't print anything about them. <laughs> All told, there have been 56 deaths in 1408. 56? You're shitting me. You don't know anything. The causes of death in 1408 range from heart attack, stroke, drowning. Drowning? Yes, one Mr. Grady Miller drowned in his chicken soup. That's hard to do. How, how did he do that? How indeed. Interesting. And it's all in here. I will let you have this and give you access to my office. You can take notes, put it all in your book. My only condition is that you do not stay in that room. He did, um, John Cusack's character gets a, uh, like a postcard or something in the mail that says, please come to our haunted room and write about it. And he calls him up. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll review this. And they're like, oh no, we, we won't. I, I don't know what you're talking about. We won't rent you that room. Let's set you up no, in a different no. room. Um, and he keeps pushing and keeps pushing. And they're like, we we do not feel safe. Where all the other places, they're like, yeah, come on. Oh, it's so haunted. And here's what you're going to see. They're, they want him to review the room. This is the first experience where they're like, no, we don't want you to stay in that room. Let us give you another room. Let us, you know, but mm -hmm. do not stay in that room. <laughs> Um, and sounds fun. And it's the kind of haunting where it's his own, his own demons are haunting him. It's not a, a supernatural creature. It's not the, you know, what has happened in the room in the past. It's his, his, he's haunting himself to a certain mm. extent. Um, that sounds good. I'm, I'm, it's on my list of shit to nice. watch this this October. So and then I, I'll get the report back. Identity is 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 different, even though it's John Cusack at a hotel or motel, really. In in that case, where um, there's a bad rainstorm and a bunch of people get stranded at this motel, and they're dying one by one. And kind of like with the Frighteners, where with the the name carved in the forehead, they're getting every time they find a body there's a room key on their body. Even at times where it's like impossible for them to have had that room key on them. And the, the mm. room keys are counting down the deaths. Um, 
And so there's a bit of a who done it or or who's doing it <laughs> element. Who's doing it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's my number two. I've been I've, I've watched both of them this year, um, and kind of just kind of coincidentally watched these two a couple days apart. I'm like, oh, another John Cusack in a hotel movie. Honestly, 1408 reminds me a little bit of uh, a movie that I like called The Innkeepers. Have you seen it? I have not. It's directed by a filmmaker named Ty West, who uh, is his, his. He made a film called The House of the Devil that was kind of a big deal for him, which almost made my list. And The Innkeepers is great because it, it's it's similar. It's about this this. I think it's actually a real life hotel called the Yankee Peddler Inn, um, which is in Connecticut. And it's in, in the movie. It's the last night of this of this hotel being open. And it's two employees have to work the final shift, but they're also like amateur ghost investigators. So like they're they're investigating the hotel. And the EKG reader, and <laughs> it also does has does some of the most interesting things I've ever heard with sound. Where they, they do a lot, where you know they have like a Zoom recorder and like a microphone, and they're going around listening for stuff. And I love that when those scenes come they're actually using the raw audio from the zoom recorder and the microphone and using like the movement around them as to get like an idea of what's going on. Sure. Uh, it's really clever and it really adds up. There's some really good scares in that film too. Cool. So, ow, I feel like every film you have, I have another suggestion <laughs> for right? Um, so my, yeah, so you're number oh, two, my number two, so or you're two earlier. on number two. <laughs> yeah. My, um, my number two, my two for two, goes back to something we were talking about earlier where I love kids' movies that push the boundaries of what's scary and fun. Uh, I We've talked about one a couple of times, uh, and I can uh, when good ghouls go bad, ah, we've yes, talked about that. Christopher Lloyd. And that, it's a hard movie to find. Uh, Disney was doing a couple of these for a while, back, especially back in the 90s. You know, They did like Phantom of the Megaplex. They did... Um, Under Wraps was a movie about mummies and shit. You know, I, I, I love all that. Um... Originally, my number two was going to be the Monster Squad. Okay. And it still kind of is, because I'm going to do a two-for-two thing. Monster Squad by Fred Decker in 1987. We're the Monster Squad. But one that I decided to mention instead, or as well, is one that I remember from as a kid, and then no one was talking about it for the longest time, and it just recently got a re-release on Blu-ray. Richard Greenberg's film from 1989... Little Monsters. Oh, yes. Yes. The monster! There was a real monster! There is nothing under your bed. Now, why don't you just go to sleep, okay? There was a monster! There are no monsters. If you say there's no monster, then switch rooms with me. Your lucky night. Imagine a world solely of kids. No teachers, no rules, no homework, no parents. Come on now! If I'm a monster, then what do monsters do? Good question. Come on, scare the hell out of her. It's our duty. Come on, stop it! We almost had him. He was becoming one of us. Eric's gone. Have you seen him? Do you know where he went? They have Eric. I know where Eric is, but I'm not leaving until I have him. 
If we're not up before the sun clears the horizon, we turn into monsters. Are you still in? I'm in. Keep an eye out for monsters! Let's blow them away, Brian! No way out! I want my brother! You amaze me. Exactly. Take a walk on the wild side. This Fred is a Savage. film that... Yeah, and, this is a film that meant a lot. Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel. This is a movie that meant a lot to me when I was younger, and I was so stoked to see it again. Um, like I'll talk a little bit about the Monster Squad, but really my choice is Little Monsters because I think this is a movie that's ripe for rediscovery. Um, Terry Rossio wrote the script, and to give you an idea of like the type of career that David that, that Terry Rossio had, he wrote Little Monsters and then would go on to write Aladdin. Nice. <laughs> he wrote Men in Black. He wrote The Mask of Zorro. He wrote the 90s Godzilla. He wrote Small Soldiers, The Road to El Dorado, Shrek, The Pirates of the Caribbean. He wrote oh. a lot of fucking movies. And the thing I like so much about Little Monsters is it is it's it is scary. Like the, that that final villain in the movie, Boy, is frightening yeah. and it's also fantastical and dreamlike yeah. and a lot of fun because i think we all just had this like idea was like how cool would it be to have a monster that lives under the bed <laughs> and then and that ties into like the same thing of monster squad because you know i was one of those monster kids who grew up loving the, loving the universal monster movies so i was like you know talking with my friends would be like you know who would win a fight, this person or this person? And then, like, when they actually come and, and come after your town, what do you do? Yeah. And it's just, it, for lack of a better term, I call it kids in peril. Like, that's, like, the subgenre. Like, it's kids <laughs> handling shit by themselves. Right. Like, everyone cites the Goonies being the perfect example of that, but Goonies is actually one of my least favorite of these. I like the Goonies, but, like, I think cause, because I, I didn't see the Goonies until middle school and I had movies like Monster Squad instead that the Goonies didn't impress the way that I felt yeah. like it did of other people who saw it in more formative years. Um, the Goonies is will... another great fall film because of that, like, oh, 100%. Northwest, Pacific Northwest, uh, the leaves changing, that, that whole vibe. Mm-hmm. And, like, Daniel Stern has got such a small role in this film, but he's great. And I love the relationship between the parents and the kids. Because while even though the parents and Little Monsters are having issues, which is funny, there's also there's a theme of divorce in both Little Monsters and Monster Squad that's kind of heartbreaking. Oh. Um, but, you know, the parents and Little Monsters are having problems, but they try not to show it in front of the kids. And while they are having problems, they are still... They still like each other. You can see that, you know, when they just finished having a huge fight. And, like, uh, Ben Savage, uh, who is also in the film. Oh, that's right. Little Ben Savage. Yeah, he has a nightmare. And the parents come in to check on him. And the dad's, like, cracking jokes and everything about it. And the mom's still laughing at it. Like, they just literally just had a fight about how much they fucking claim to hate each other. But they still enjoy each other's presence so it's like little things like that rick decumen plays plays like the bad guy snick and like i i always whenever i hear his voice i think of him in like um um something like uh um why can't i think of any of the titles right now the burbs oh sure he was the neighbor in the burbs or he was in blank check and the (laughs) fact that he's playing such a smart like an evil gross creature in this is weird but then my friend Nico potentially, I don't want to say ruined the film because I'm still going to enjoy it, 
Um, but he 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 messaged me because he had just watched it for the first time, and he's like, "Am I crazy? Is this film about pedophilia in Hollywood?" I'm like, "Hold up, what?" <laughs> <laughs> and then I was thinking about it. It's like, okay, you have these kids who go to this crazy world where they can be anything they want to be. And then the longer they stay there, they start becoming these same monsters yeah. that are trying to lure them in there. And then the person who runs it is a is a full grown man who's dressed and acting like a child. I was like, oh god, <laughs> is this movie about that? I've not been able to find anything to support that, but like I've been thinking about that nonstop since he mentioned yeah. it. Um, but no, I, I think like on I just I think this is a really great film. It's a really feel good film. All, if you don't not, don't think about that other side of it that Nico brought up. Um, and it's got, you know, the to- it's got a talking head song randomly in it. What's not to love? <laughs> right. And it does have that just crazy fall feel to it. Like, I love movies where it, there's a, there's a night, there's a scene in the middle of the night and you can tell they have a wind machine on and it's blowing leaves and right. <laughs> I'm all for it. I'm all for it. So my two picks are first and foremost, little monsters. And then secondary would be. Uh, would be Monster Squad by Fred Decker from 1987. Well, I've actually got a little bit of a... a, uh, that sets up mine a bit because you mentioned when good duels go go bad. Um, And I... I I feel like I bring up that movie every season. I got to to meet the director, as I'm sure I've mentioned and worked with him a tiny bit. Um, But that that same film that I met the director of when good duels go bad, Patrick Reed Johnson was on the set of the film 52577 which starred Colleen Camp or heavily featured Colleen Camp who is in my final choice from 1985 Ooh, Jonathan Lynn's Clue Every person in this room has the perfect motive Stand back for murder What do you mean murder but only one of these suspects is the murderer. Is it the timid Mr. Green? Why are you screaming? Because I'm frightened! What? Screaming! Or the militant Colonel Mustard? If I was the killer, I would kill you next. Huh? Except F. F. Mrs. White, who helped her husband on his way. What's the matter of life after death? Now that he's dead, I have a life. Miss Scarlet, who's helped many men along the way. Practice makes perfect. Professor Plum, who's looking for a way. I'm looking, I'm looking. Mrs. Peacock. I have absolutely no idea what we're doing here, but I am determined to enjoy myself. Or did the butler do it? No. 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 Paramount Pictures invites you to an evening of mystery. Murder. This is getting quite serious. And madness. In the movie that makes a scene of the crime. Clue. It's not just a game anymore. Ah, we just watched Clue this year. Um, we, we did a double feature of Clue and Knives Out. Nice. This was the first time I had seen Clue. Um, and uh, it was just... It was the best example of comedic timing in film oh, that I have ever seen. So good. It is, the writing is so tight and the performances are so tight that um, it's it's nonstop laughter. Ava, Ava, don't climb up there, sweetheart. It's also got more Christopher Lloyd goodness. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
Um, in a very toned down role for him. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, he didn't shine in the way that Christopher Lloyd typically shines, and not because of his performance, but because I just think the, the role wasn't hefty, and it was such an ensemble that mm-hmm. um and they all played and off of each other so michael well. honestly i think michael mckean has got his, i think he kind of steals yeah, the show right. in every scene he's in <laughs> especially because depending on which ending you watch he's got the best like ending live i'm gonna go home and have sex with, <laughs> with, my, with wife. my wife uh the ver- i i we streamed it i think on amazon prime and it had it was the one with all three endings where they have the little mm-hmm. and this could have happened and this could have happened but here's what actually happened uh and the last one which is framed as the real ending was mm-hmm. that one where <laughs> mm-hmm. um uh, plus uh, you know again rocky horror picture show is another one that i watch every year so seeing the other kind of i don't know what makes clue so fall like but it, i think maybe just murder mystery I maybe I, that's what i was gonna say i think it's because it's a murder mystery um, it it does have kind of a fall feel to it and it does um it's it's a nice like it's a very different role than tim curry's other great halloween film mm-hmm. rocky horror picture show and then, like Madeline, Madeline Kahn's in the film, and she's fucking great. And uh, with the flames by the yep. side of your face. <laughs> yep, Martin Mole is in it, yeah. and and then let's not forget. It's also a goofy film because they cast Lee Ving as Mister Body. <laughs> Do you know who Lee Ving I, is? I, I did look him up when we. He's watched the singer. It. He's the singer of the band Fear. Oh, that no, they, I was just basing it on his other roles that I'd seen him no, in. No, no, he he was the lead singer of the punk band Fear okay. that infamously got a lifetime ban from Saturday Night Live for wrecking the set. <laughs> uh um John Belushi invited them being a big fan and they came on, you know, they were like they were a hardcore punk band and they came on stage and um, wrecked the set. There was a, a mosh pit formed. You can find the clip online. Okay. It's pretty great. And they got a lifetime ban. Wow. And that guy plays Mr. Bond. <laughs> which I love. I love. Nice people, you know. <laughs> they <laughs> they, uh, <clears throat> they look very frightening, but they're really very nice. Our Halloween, I guess. And by the way, tonight, look out for surprises. Ladies and gentlemen, Fia! Okay, so what is your final, the final entry into our fall movie? So, I, I was taking the fall movie thing to, to heart, and I was thinking, what's one thing that a lot of people watch in the fall? Not personally me, well, okay, a little bit me, but a lot of people watch football. Okay. I don't really like football. But sports movies are a big thing in the fall, other than baseball, because baseball is more of a summer yeah. thing. But, like, I was trying to think, it's like, okay, f- uh, fall is when a lot of sporting events start happening. I don't like football, but I love hockey. <laughs> and it's like, what is, for me, the quintessential hockey movie? 
And the only movie that came to mind, and there's a lot of good ones. There's like the Mighty Ducks. Oh, I, and... I assume that's what you were gonna pick. I was about to quack, no quack quack no quack. There's the Mighty Ducks. There's the Mighty Ducks two. <laughs> there's the Mighty Ducks three. <laughs> there's Miracle. Yeah. Uh, but I'm gonna go with my personal favorite from 1977, directed by George Roy Hill. Slapshot. I'm placing a personal bounty on the head of Tim McCracken. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. Go get him, killer! It's wild. It's outrageous. It's outrageously funny. Paul Newman, Coach Reggie Dunlop in this supercharged world of hockey, invites you to meet the crazies who make it that way. The Players, Murderer's Row, The Wives, The Fans, The Managers. We're losing! Teamwork, guys, more team. They're burying us alive! Who are these guys? They brought their toys with them! And hustling them all, Paul Newman. Oh, you are very clever. Leave him. My wife left me, I was driving her crazy. Get out! You can't make him win. You're a losing coach. Okay, guys, show us what you got. Behind the comedy, the sex, the wild excitement. This is the absorbing story of one man fighting to hang on in a world gone absurd. never been a film like Slapshot. There may never be another. It is one of my favorite... It, I've only seen... I only first saw it a couple years ago, but it actually quickly became one of my favorite movies of all time. Nice. Um, because it does everything right in terms of a sports film, but is still very much made... Like, like a 70s film. I, it's hard for me to explain kind of what I mean there, where it's like, it's not super plot or story driven. It's very much kind of like a character slice of life piece about this this sports team. They are from Charlestown, Pennsylvania, and they have a, there's a team called the Charleston Chiefs, and they suck. <laughs> they are a amateur hockey league team. Until Emilio Estevez gets a speeding ticket. <laughs> <laughs> their, their, their team sucks. The, the, only, the people who come to their games are people who come just to fucking make fun of them. Yeah. Um, and Paul Newman is in the film, and he's got he's just oh, so right. fucking likable. He's so likable in this film, and he's got he wears this really cool. Uh, a fur coat and all, in so many scenes, and he's just got this great like sense of humor. Like, there's a great scene where like someone's you know, someone's like his his name is is Reggie Dunlap, which is a great name. It's a great script name. Someone's like Dunlap, you suck cock, and he goes as many as I can get without even thinking about it. But so Reggie is this, he's a captain for this shitty t- hockey team, and all he wants to do is to play hockey, and um. 
you know they they start uh, they start realizing when they they get these these, these young players called the Hansen brothers on their team, and the Hansen brothers are really violent hockey goons who just like beat beating up. They they're not they're not great at playing, but they beat the shit out of people, and they realize their team's going to be sold soon. So they're like, what do we have to lose? So they just start playing dirty hockey. <laughs> And people love it and start coming to see their games, and they become really fucking successful <laughs> considering their team's going away. And it's just—it's a great hockey film. It's a great slice of life film. Um, it's George Roy Hill directed a lot of films. He did things like The World According to Garp. He did Slaughterhouse Five. Uh, he did Funny Farm. He's a he's a journeyman director who didn't have a distinct style, and I think that's why this film works for him so much because it's a down and gritty film that's still a lot of fun because you really grow to like these characters and the crazy situations they're put in. Struther Martin's got a really small part in the movie, and he's great in everything he's in. Um, and for Twin Peaks fans, Michael Antkeen is in the film who plays um, uh, Harry S. Truman in Twin Peaks. He was the sheriff. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's just, a. It, it's not like a laugh out loud, crazy type of comedy film, but I actually, it reminded me in style of a, I don't even, this makes it sound like a negative, but like a slightly less funny Blues Brothers. <laughs> it's funny in the way the Blues Brothers is, but they're not necessarily going for laughs. Sure. You know, kind of like in the seventies, they do that a lot. They do a comedy film that's not necessarily a comedy. Right. That's not like that makes a bunch sense. of jokes and gabs. Yeah. And I just, like, I love Paul Newman. He is so good in so many things. And I, I honestly I don't feel like he... I love his salad dressing. He, he makes great <laughs> dressings. I honestly don't feel like he gets the appreciation he deserves in terms of for acting. Yeah. But that's just me. Uh, so I actually, I, I want to watch Slapshot today. And if I had time, I definitely would go and watch Slapshot. <laughs> I'll, I'll need to add that to my list. <laughs> I almost did a Shameless Picture Show episode on it with my friend Kyle because okay. he also likes hockey and he'd never seen it. We watched the movie with the intent to record it and we never got around to recording <laughs> it. So that was almost an episode. A slap shot. Well, um, that that brings us to the end of uh, a refreshing topic episode. And I like these kind yeah, of something different. five choice short discussion kind of rapid fire um long long runtime but you know um quick little snippets of lots of movies so we'll, we'll have too. to do these more often and i'm sure we'll do a christmas one coming up oh yeah because um, oh, yeah. we haven't done that we do a christmas special each year but we haven't done like christmas topic no we haven't we haven't films you know what would be okay i've got our christmas topic Okay. episode it's not this format it's let's pitch some films and then debate whether or not they are christmas films Ooh, oh i'm gonna have to put some work into yeah <laughs> which the whole point I of like these topic that. episodes was so that we didn't have to put work in but i'm gonna well this is di- working a different yeah. way this is working a different uh, way. i like that concept i, I did it but um you know i think that's all i think that's all we got nick yeah. If you're not and down with that, then I've got two words for you. Yeah, I do. I got two words. You too. got two words for me. Oh yeah, watch, watch movies. movies. <laughs> yeah.
The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland, is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers, and is more often than not edited by Michael Byers. Any TV or YouTube versions of the show to date have been edited by Nick Richards, Tyler Hanna, or Dina Volani. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration from Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed, and our new kick-ass logo was designed by Amanda Byers. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors at Mill Creek Entertainment and Vinegar Syndrome. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links to all these tremendous folks, as well as the show, in the description below. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.